Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Paul W. Downs and Lucia Agnello began collaborating as comedy and life partners after meeting in 2007 at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and the Magnet Theater in New York City. Their early efforts included a web series for Broadway videos above average productions and a one-man show, The Paul Downs Experience, at the UCB in 2010. Since then, you've seen their work together or individually in the Comedy Central sitcom Broad City, miniseries Time Traveling Bong, a showcase special for Netflix's The Characters, and the 2017 feature film Rough Night. Behind the scenes, they've also worked on The Other Two, Aquafina is Nora from Queens, and The Babysitter's Club. Their most recent achievement is Hacks on HBO Max, which they co-created, co-write, and on which Downs co-stars. Paul and Lucia sat down with me to talk about comedy mentoring from one generation to the next, how they and others have become stars without first becoming stars within the UCB orbit, and how getting into character to surprise a monster truck rally in Maine somehow also gave birth to the idea behind Hacks, perhaps the best new TV comedy of 2021. So let's get to it! I love that. <laughs> so I love Lucia. that sort of... Yes, we just heard the, the 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 dulcet sounds of Zoom saying this meeting is being recorded. I love I like, Big Brother. I love she's up front. I love she's up front. She lets you know you're being recorded, and I go, okay, thank you for letting me know. So, last things first. I, I know everybody wants to talk about hacks, but last things first. Happy tenth anniversary to us winning our ECNY awards. Wow, is it 10 years? This is huge. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, 2011, we both, we both, we all came home big with awards. Wow. That's pretty major. It was actually just you guys, not me, but I feel very happy to know you. Yes, they directed <laughs> I mean, the show and wrote it with me. And, it's yeah. emerging comic. Emerging comic. Okay, okay. <laughs> My gosh, that was fun. I did something that I think was stupid, which uh, I, um, I just said Fiona Apple's, like, Grammy speech or something, or no, I, I think it was an MTV music video award speech, which made no sense, which was like, this is all bullshit. Yes. <laughs> and I never won another ECNY. <laughs> I don't think they had them anymore after that. I don't think they did. That's <laughs> I think hilarious. Right. I, I think, think they decided if they could give them to us, really, <laughs> who else is left in New York? That's right. That's exactly that's right. right. I think that's the true EGOT though, is <laughs> E from ECNY. <laughs> So I'm on my way there. Yeah. You are, you, you're as, both are you, well, as are you. You're both well on your, your way there because Hacks has got to be the best comedy of, of 2021. Oh, thank, thank you. you. So, so congratulations nice. for that. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, obviously as branded myself as the comics comic, I would be a sucker for a show about <laughs> the comedy world. But I'm also a sucker for a series that opens with a one shot. So, yeah. so tell me how you decided to do that. Well, it was it was something that was scripted the whole time. So I don't know who of us exactly pitched the idea of the winner, but I think we wanted to like I think build the like here's who she is almost before you see her face. Um, so the idea that you would see her show, you would see like one of her jokes, you would get that it's maybe a little bit stale vibes, but as soon as she gets off stage, she's you know doing this, doing that, doing this. 
She knows everybody at backstage because this is wrote for her. She does, has done this for years and years and years. And she already has her staff. You see her staff getting, uh, coming to her and, you know, yelling out their little jobs and all that. And then you see her. And so for us, it was a little bit like, we just wanted you to know who you were dealing with before you even saw her face. And um, that shot, um, Comics Comic Exclusive, was actually <laughs> shot in two different places. One of them was at the backstage of the theater in um, at the Ebell Theater in here in LA. And then the second half of it was actually in the stage that we had shot out on Paramount lot into her dressing room. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a magical one that's actually not a one Yeah. But it's a long tour. (laughs) It's a two. And also I think maybe even more credit to Lucia for making it seem like a seamless one in in two different locations and our yeah. VFX team. <laughs> no, that's that's a testament to your talent. Oh, thank you. I like how this. Is, I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. I you know we we're joking about the ECNY awards, which were a thing that was were held in New York City in the late aughts, early teens, uh, to kind of celebrate the then underground New York comedy scene, which we were both a part of. And, you know, you were recognized, Paul, for your, your one-man show that ran at the UCB called the pa- Paul Downs Experience, which at least had a big part in, in oh, yes. constructing as well. Um, what's, what's remarkable to me in hindsight is that when I first saw you in the show that you guys put together, I was like, oh, yeah, Paul Downs is going to be a star. Like, I think I even wrote that in my review. It's like, yeah, th- I could see this as his pitch for SNL, and he's going to be this thing. And you both had have had really great careers in the ensuing decade, but the the biggest uh, successes you've had have been kind of behind the scenes or as supporting figures, right? Mm-hmm. Whether well, it's first with Broad City, where Paul, you're on the show, but you're really kind of sculpting the vision that Abby and Alana had and making them stars, and now you're doing it again with Hacks, which has. Hannah in a starring role, but then also, I mean, obviously Meg Stalter is going to be huge. Yep. After this. Absolutely. Because her her stardom cannot be denied. Yes. So funny. Yeah, I know. How unselfish that I'm still delaying your premonition. (laughs) The long foretold star that is Paul W. Downs. And I think, you know, we should say that we, you know, when you're first coming up and doing comedy, it's so hard to get recognized and to break through. And you were one of the first people that saw us and wrote about us and honestly encouraged us in a way that we felt very seen and supported. So thank you for that. Oh, um, I don't know. And I, I, you know, you have great taste and you have a great eye. And I think you're exactly right that I, I need to stop supporting women. <laughs> <laughs> writing myself a starring vehicle, uh-huh. which mm-hmm. I certainly have. <laughs> there are things that I have, but hopefully I'll be able to get to make those you know, with the success of Broad City and hopefully, knock on wood, the success of Hacks. But yes, I mean, we're, we're, so, we're so lucky to work with people like Abby and Alana and Jean and Hannah and Meg Salter. Um, and I do think Lucia uh, and I, like you, like seeing funny people and, you know, are inspired by funny people. And Meg was someone that you know, a long time ago when she was first beginning and 
not many people I think were aware of. We were like, she's really funny. And we started to write that character a little bit for her. Mm-hmm. And then I did a stand-up show here in LA and she came to LA. She was like, I think honestly taking meetings with managers or something. And she was on that show and I was like, oh, it absolutely has mm-hmm. to be her. She was so, so funny. Um, so yeah, we, uh, I think the rising tide lifts all boats. So we're really happy to help support men and women. What what do you think what do you think it says about the two of you that you have become such great supporters and promoters of other comedic talent? Um, I think when it like we obviously you know love performing. I mean, I still like acting whenever I can convince somebody to let me do it. But um, you know, I think we genuinely just really feel like a lasting impact can be had when you're really helping like make something really good. And I think in a weird way, like, not that it's not that famous fleeting, but like, um, there's something I think to being able to say, like, this is something that hopefully, whether it's Broad City or Hacks or something, like, at least our intention is to make it something that really um, can, in a way, move culture forward, if, if that's possible, and really have a, like, hopefully lasting impact beyond just being funny. And sometimes I think what the show has to say, wants to say beyond just, Oh, here's a funny joke for us, maybe feels a little bit more satisfying in the long run. And so I think maybe that's a a part of why we put so much time and effort into writing things that, you know, mean a lot to us, no matter who's starring in it. One of the, the major themes of hacks is the mentorship of one generation of comedian with another. I wonder how important mentors were to you when you were first starting out, Lucia. Yeah, you know, I actually really wanted a mentor, but couldn't find one to talk to me. I used to really? Like, I remember there's actually one improviser in New York that I was like, okay, she's going to be, she's awesome. She's so funny. She's going to be my mentor. And I convinced her to get coffee with me. And the first thing she said when she sat down is, what should I do with my life? And I was like, okay, it's not going to be this woman. (laughs) I just, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, like in a weird way, my friends and contemporaries ended up kind of being my mentors. Like for example, when we were, you know, doing UCB stuff and magnet theater stuff, Abby and Alana were making stuff the way that Paul and I were just like dumb little videos. And like that was, I was inspired by them. And I feel like they were inspired by us because we're like, let's just go and make the things we want to make and just go and do it even because I mean, except for Paul, we weren't, the three of us weren't really getting stage time the way that we wanted to be. And we weren't able to like do what we wanted. So we were like, all right, let's fuck it. Let's just go do it ourselves. And in a weird way that like, is it was inspiring to me and like, they weren't my mentors, but like, it was like, oh, this feels right. And, um, you know, I, the, one of the very first things I did like right after maybe as I was in college, right after college, I literally just like Googled Amy Poehler. And that was like all I, that was like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. That was like all I was like, that's what I want to do. This is what I want to be like. And in a way, like Amy, by helping me get to direct the pilot of Broad City, I had never actually directed television before. And she was one of the people who was like, you know, I met with, and I actually hadn't met in person before the possibility of getting that job. And she absolutely, you know, did the christening of like saying to Comedy Central, like this person is who should direct this pilot. So she is in the end, I guess, a kind of a mentor for me and just that I've idolized her the whole time. And she's been nothing but good and positive and encouraging and 
kind and amazing. So I guess you could say that she's a mentor, but she's certainly not a dark mentor. Not a dark, not a, not a twisted mentor, just like a very positive. <laughs> not a D mentor. No, just a good, a very positive force in my life, even from before I met her in person. Well, We're going to use that D mentor. I like that D mentor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deborah is a D mentor. Too. Lucia, <laughs> did you, so did you see yourself as a performer first? And it was only yes. after a while that you came around to, okay, I might have as much or even a bigger impact behind the camera as a director and writer. Yeah, I, I, it genuinely was just from like not getting on teams and it used to be in I mean I did a magnet but I just wasn't really able to like break through and I'm, I was even then very like ambitious and I literally was just like this isn't I'm not getting through in the way that I want to and um so I was like and this was like very early this is like when like Lonely Island was just starting like to break through on SNL and Derek Comedy had like started to make some videos and I'm very much somebody who's always like kind of a do-it-yourself people. My parents are entrepreneurs and like business owners. And like, I kind of always like that doesn't seem scary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of is why I literally just like, I was like, okay, I think it wasn't so much like, I think I can have a bigger impact. I think I was just literally like desperate and like, I need to start doing something else. And videos seem like uh, a path. And so I just was like, I am going to borrow a camera, my friends and whatever, have him shoot some stuff. And we just started making things. Which is a similar story to Abby and Alana, who, you know, yeah, I was, you said that. <laughs> I was kind of talking about them, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd, but, I'd love to hear Paul's perspective on this. Sure. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I remember early on, I was on a Herald team and, you know, Lucia was, um, was the person who was like, you know, we should make some videos because, you know, what, what is, what was UCB, um, you know, the Christides basement theater, was that like 130 seats or something? You know, she was like, think of all the people that could see it beyond that. And I mean, truly not to date herself because we are only 28 right now, but um, <laughs> I think YouTube launched in like what, 2005? I mean, YouTube hadn't been around that long. It was yeah, like, right. it was very, very new. So, um, and you know, when we were first doing our digital shorts, um, we would both kind of do both, which she would be in them and I would be holding the camera or directing. Mm-hmm. If I was more sort of in it, she would be directing. Sometimes we would both be self-directing and our, our friend Evan Savage would be DPing for us. So we kind of did it all back then. Even, I mean, we, we edited every video, we color corrected videos ourselves. We were really doing a lot of it. And yeah, it only, it only, um, I think helped our work, but also it's weird how you sort of fall into something because as Lucia said, she's, I don't know if she actually said this, but she is a brilliant performer. Yes. I said, I am a brilliant performer. performer And the world is being robbed of this. Right. Criminally overlooked by, by the UCB and somewhat less, but still to an extent, the magnet. Yeah. Okay. And the pit, we won't even talk about the pit. We never really did. Pits, I never though. did. Yeah, yeah. Really, really. <laughs> yeah see, I no, mean, when no, you're doing UCB and Magnet, it's like how many improv rehearsals can you run to? Yeah. You know, it's like it's a full time job. I don't know how he paid rent. What I mm-hmm. what, what I love coach. about what I love about your your two story and also Abby and Alana is that all four of you prove that you didn't need to be on a Herald team to like make it through all the levels of UCB and become one of the Del Close Marathon stars to get on a sitcom, to get mm-hmm. in a major motion picture. You can, you can thrive outside of the system. And in fact, you've all outlasted it because the UCB is, is, is dead now. 
so insane. At least as a theater. Right, right. So wild. But not as a state of mind. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think for a lot of people, like, even then you'd get to, like, you could be one of the stars of the Del Coast Marathon, but then what is that? Maybe it's, it's maybe that's all it is needs to be because, you know, improv is its own art form and it doesn't need to have commercial validation for it to be good. It's just, you can be good, but... But um, I don't know. I mean, I think no matter what, I've personally always just been very wanting to have like a very legitimate long-term career, you know, in, in TV and film. And I think UCB was an amazing place to ha- meet our community of people that we wanted mm-hmm. to work with. And even to this day, there's so many people that I met through that process that are collaborators and friends. But, but it really, for me anyways, was more of a place to meet that community because if I may, I think at the time it was just such a deeply sexist and racist place that it couldn't have possibly lifted up the voices of the people that all the people equally anyway. So, and that was just because I think the gatekeepers were just only wanting to have people who looked like them on teams. Right. I don't know if it was deeply racist. Maybe it was, I just can only experience the part of it that I felt was sexist. Right. Whether it was implicit or explicit it still it still feels the same yes um but you know in terms of like when young people who are just starting in comedy now and they probably look to one or both of you as mentors you can you can give them guidance that doesn't necessarily feed them through a specific path right you can yeah i mean that's interesting because we do have people that reach out um or people like you know as alums from our school or something. And they're like, how do you, how do you break in? And it used to be truly, I would say, well, for me, I started doing two things. One, making my own stuff, just writing stuff, making stuff, doing stuff. But also I, I, the way that I got to perform and do live comedy and start to find my voice and work my comedic muscle was at UCB. So I used to say, take a class, do a UCB class. Cause you'll also find your, people you know you'll find people to collaborate with which is a big part of hacks is really about finding your people and finding creative collaborators um but yeah i think that there's so many paths now you know next alter started on instagram we first saw her doing stuff on instagram you know i think people truly i do think tiktok is going to create a new generation of both comedic performers, but also editors and directors. And, you know, I feel like people now have even, even more access to making their own things and expressing themselves because TikTok helps you do it. So now I'm like, I don't know. When people ask me, I, there's so many different ways. You just have to be committed to doing it. And as long as you, it's the thing you can't do anything other than. Right. The way to, the way to, the way to succeed as a comedian in 2021 is so vastly different than it was even just in 2011. Yeah. And it feels like we've, it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like a different life in comedy. And, you know, we haven't, I mean, as a viewing public, we haven't been been able to see all of the first season of Hacks at this point. We've only seen the first four episodes as we're talking right now. But obviously, you know, the big launching point for Hannah's character is that she's crossed that, that invisible line on social media that we're all still trying to figure out or, or do we even need to figure out? And I wonder where you two both see that happening as, as creators and as performers yourselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think so many people are like, oh, God, when you when you uh, say something offensive to the woke mob, that's when you get canceled. But that's not our show. She says something about a Republican. And it was really that is the group that came after her, which I think is more that happens far more often, I think. Um, So for us, it wasn't like this isn't some grand um, like point of view or comment on on that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I don't feel that we have had too many instances of being like, oh, God, can we say that? I'm like, I don't really believe in that cancel culture exists. I believe that a um, culture of people saying really offensive things and then being like, oh, you shouldn't say that anymore. And then they get like so defensive and then they freak out on being silenced. And so it's like, I don't know. I think women have been not allowed to say what they want to say for the whole time until maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago. So <laughs> I don't know. I think it's interesting if maybe some other people feel like they're being silenced. It's so funny. All those guys who are like, well, mom, I'm being silenced. All are saying it into like, um, serious XM uh, shows where they're getting paid $15 million and they're like whining about being canceled or whatever. I'm like, doesn't sound like you're being silenced that much, bro. <laughs> but Paul, I don't like this. Well, I mean, I will say as you know, you, you're both millennials and I'm, I'm generation X. So as an elder mm-hmm. uh, in the room, uh, in the zoom room, I will say that it, it's, it feels like it's always been a debate, but the terms of the debate have changed mm-hmm. because comedians Comedians have said for generations that the point of being a comedian is that you find the line and then you cross it. Mm-hmm. But at what point is crossing it just to cross it? And what point is, is it serving a purpose or are you right. just, are you just trolling? Right. You know, it's interesting because I'm a little bit of two minds because I feel that art should be shocking. It should be challenging. Comedy in particular should be, uncomfortable sometimes um you know that i like to tickle uh, is like the thing that that's what i used to i think do in in the paul down syndrome was do things that were i hope funny but also laughs you couldn't take back things that made the audience you know i I like to tickle the audience so i think that there is merit in that especially politically in satire um but i think one of the things that's changed i think the context has shifted and people are now more aware of the target. I think that's kind of the the biggest shift for me is that it can be shocking, but if you're punching down or if the shock is about uh, reinforcing a gender or racial stereotype, what, how, how um, revolutionary is that? You know, I think people are a little bit more conscientious about speaking truth to power and trying to punch up. At least that's what I think I hope people are doing more. Do you feel, Paul, do you feel any different about this now than you did when, say, you were filming your showcase for Netflix, the characters? Because there's, there's at least a couple of big segments in that where you're, where you're dealing with presumably strangers. I mean, you could have paid everybody in the UCB <laughs> and no. in that rodeo, or not rodeo, but the truck rally. <laughs> yeah, you could, have, truck you rally. could have presumably paid all of those people <laughs> and their extras, but more likely you're dropping yourself into these situations and filming it. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were complete strangers. In fact, the monster jam truck rally, 
looking back now, I'm like, that was insane. I was wearing like a crazy wig. I, 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 I didn't, because I actually really enjoyed the people and their enthusiasm for that experience. I wasn't trying to entrap anybody or, you know what I mean? I wasn't trying to speak down to them. I was trying to make myself the joke, you know, could you ever love a man my height five, four? I'm not five, four, but you know what I mean? That's like <laughs> the kind of thing that I, I hope I was doing was making myself a little bit the object of the humor, but um, looking at it, I'm like, geez, that was almost a dangerous situation. I also am like, could you imagine if I had said, there's a bomb, like, <laughs> like there's a bomb in here. They just gave me the mic. They just let me do whatever I wanted. But um, thankfully it was just big I... trucks. Big yes. trucks. Yeah, I just screamed big trucks. So <laughs> insane. But um, Spoiler alert. you know, actually on that, on that trip to that Portland, Maine monster jam mm-hmm. was where we came up with the idea for the show. Yes. Six oh. years ago. The three of us. Jen yeah. and Lucia and I were driving up there. Um, Jen and Lucia were there to help me be funny, you know, <laughs> to like write jokes and pitch things. And, um, and it was in that, in that car ride, that long car ride that we first started talking about this show and this idea. So it's really and an email. I, we, I sent us all an email that day from the car. You know, this is a good idea for a show. What was it about driving to a, a monster truck jam in Portland, Maine, that made you think, let's talk about comedians who are on the outs trying to get back in? Yeah, was I it, don't Were you know. thinking, like, this yeah. is the kind of gig that only someone who's really desperate would take this kind of gig? I, I think Actually, it's, yeah. it does feel really like a, like a Deborah Vance <laughs> faraway job, but go ahead and chair. Yeah, you're right. There is something about it that feels like in the fringes of society, but no. No, I think we just were on the, there wasn't a connection, I don't think, between Monster Jam and um, Deborah Vance. But yeah, we just started talking about like female comedians that kind of have like never really had the same opportunities as their male counterparts. And then we just kind of saying like us as younger comedians didn't, don't necessarily have the like respect for those who came before us, especially female comedians who paved the, the way for us. And it was just kind of in that conversation that we thought it'd be interesting to to learn that respect through the eyes of a, a younger female comedian. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there's a connection. No, it's just, it was just, we had a lot of time to talk about whatever. And you know, when we're together, we, it's almost, it's fun to, it's, you know, we pitch, we just, you know, whether it's just joking with each other or doing bits or whatever, things just come out. So it was, it was worth it for us to drive up to Portland, Maine. Yeah. For both my Netflix special, but also for, I hope we wrote off that trip on our taxes. <laughs> right, you should have. Especially now that Hacks is, is such a critical success. I don't know what the numbers are. Do you, are you privy to that kind of stuff? Do you care about It's the about most that? watched show of all time, we've been told. We've been told that MASH, you know, pales in comparison. No, we don't know yeah. data because HBO has subscribers, and so we don't really know. But um, I think we do find some stuff out at some point, but yeah. not yet. It's just been a week. I think we find out if there's more more seasons ordered. I think we're like, okay, people are watching it on, right. the, on the on the platform. And well, is that is that how you truly measure the success of any of the projects you do, or do you get how do you not get wrapped up in the numbers of it? Because especially with Incredibly social media, it's all about the likes and the shares. And yes, the- especially in this time where we're not really out in the world and able to like talk to people. Everything kind of is through the computer. Um, yeah, it's really weird and really hard. I think for myself anyways, to me, the way that I feel like, oh, this is a success is really through like 
people who I know mostly who are like, Hey, I really like this or really respond to this really connected with this. Because Mm -hmm. to me, that's like a kind of validation of, if I may say the art that is through, like, I understand where it's coming from. It's coming from people who I respect. And if they feel like they really like it, then that's truly what makes me feel like it's a success. And for me, you know, we, um, we try and be more about, about output than input because it's, I think, healthier. But I will say we, you know, in this COVID time, we didn't have like a an event um, for the show when it premiered, but some of the cast wanted to watch together. And so they um, very sweetly got everybody together in an apartment. Actually, a friend of um, Poppy Lou's was like, I'm hosting a thing for Poppy. And then Poppy invited everybody. <laughs> and so we went and we watched it with a bunch of people. And it was so, I'm so glad we did because it was last Thursday, the night that the first two episodes premiered and to have people we didn't know, all of these random people that were friends with Poppy laugh at the show. I'm like, that is still the thing that I, that I love is, is just hearing people laugh, making people laugh because that's truly the goal, you know? Um, And it was so fun to watch it with an audience, which we never really do that much in theater. You can in, in, or sorry, in television with movies, you do test movies or you can go to the theater and watch the movie with people. TV, it's a, it's much different. And we did it at Tribeca film festival with a couple episodes of broad city, which was amazing to watch with the crowd. And it was just so fun to watch this with people. Um, That was the most gratifying thing for me so far of the whole process of the show was watching it in that little apartment. So are the two of you, the type who, will sit back and enjoy the the success of having finished a project or are you both of a mind that you have to have the next thing already in in production well the truth of it is is we're not finished we're still finishing the last couple episodes right now yes. I know. and you know we also i think i'll get it it's okay. You can wait for a second. Um, we also, you know, that's um, our closing bell speed round. Yeah, that's so funny. We also, um, we are always people that are like grinding and thinking of the next thing, mm-hmm. but I hope with this, we can take a little bit of a break because yeah. also we haven't, we haven't taken a break since November. We've been, we've been kind of working. Well, before that even. Yeah. Cause we basically started writing the show in uh, April of, of last year and wrote the whole thing and went right into prep and right into production and then edited it very quickly and while we were still in production. So it, it, we really haven't had, um, and we were editing on the weekends. So we really haven't, as soon as we do finish, which is you know a couple weeks, week or two, then I think we will have to emotionally and mentally take a little bit of a break because we are... Um, it's been it's been a long it's been a long journey to make a show for a season of a show during COVID is uh, very challenging. Yeah, because it doesn't watching it doesn't seem like it happened during COVID, and yet it did. Yeah. Yes. It. Yeah. Yet it did. Yes. I mean, and that's great. That's what we wanted, especially for. I really wanted it to have like scale and beauty because I really feel like comedy can be beautiful, and I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that that hasn't been done before, but. I think uh, it was very important to me. And so we really pushed ourselves and our crew to make sure that, you know, it, it made, it felt like it could have been during COVID or not, you know? How, how important was it for, for you to, to make a show that didn't specify that COVID was part of that universe? 
incredibly important. I really didn't want it to feel like I wanted this to be a total escape. And also in the world of Deborah Vance's world of performing live at casinos, like it couldn't, it could either be pre COVID or in a post COVID world, we haven't experienced yet. So we were very much like, Oh, COVID does not exist. It does not. Or this is 2018. I don't know. Either way, any future seasons will not have anything to do. That is a spoiler. COVID does not exist in the different (laughs) universe. Just one more reason to, to love and enjoy hacks. Um, Before I let you go, I I will ask about the post COVID world because uh, you know, IMDB and the trades have all sorts of information out there. Can you tell me anything about the other projects that are listed? Like there was a movie script you and Paul were working on for like a 21 Jump Street spinoff. Oh, also, yeah, that was, yeah. And then there was also a production deal with, or a development deal with Comedy Central or something. Yes. Not Aquafina, but something else. Yes. Um, the 21 Jump Street, we have not been working on for a while. Um, we wrote a draft. Um, we actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I will. We actually wrote it for Jillian Bell's character in 22 Jump Street, a spinoff for her. Okay. Um, and I don't, know of it getting made but it'd be great if they want to call me back up because i love jillian bell and would work with her a million times over she's one of my absolute favorite comedians and people um and the comedy central deal we did have a deal that um went through and we did the whole thing but it's now over um okay did you make i mean did you end up making a show for them or a pilot or anything or no we didn't end up making we had some thing two shows in development there um that are now at other places. Okay. Well, that's, that's promising. Yeah. But also that's yeah. for someone who follows comedy, that's not completely surprising because comedy central just in the last year, even without the pandemic comedy central went through such an upheaval in terms of executives and their, their focus on what they're even doing. So, yeah, so, it was, you know, I mean, Paramount plus very all about Paramount plus now. Yes. For a very long time, that was almost like, that was like, I mean, about, I'll always in a way, in a way, consider at home. I actually worked at Comedy Central um, in their digital department way before Broad City as um, what my job was. And I had, I worked with a couple other people is that we took all the original Comedy Central shows and digitized them for their website. And so my job was that I would watch. Yeah, sure. My pleasure. I'd watch like an episode of Daily Show and break it up into all the little clips and I'd watch each one and do the keywords and SEO and TRT and all that stuff and mm-hmm. uh, made it accessible for their website. So I actually worked at Comedy Central as a day job for many years. And then I worked there for Comedy, uh, for Broad City and then Time Traveling Bong. And yeah. I've had, I have so, so much love and affection for that channel and that network and so many people that I've known mm-hmm. over the years who've worked there. So I have only super love for Comedy Central, truly my home, my home, channel for a very very long time and always will be you know well well paul and lucia thank you so much not just for your time because i know you're uh still dealing with stuff at home and with the show (laughs) and uh and i don't want to keep anyone who's a fan of hacks from seeing the rest of the season so i will let you go but thank you so much it's it's a pleasure to to reconnect with you after all these years it's so nice to see you let's do this again (laughs) let's Let's hope there's a reason. You know, I don't know. But. Oh, yeah, no, because you're going to be a star. 
Well, and, thank you. Hey, maybe look at look at Gene Smart supporting roles for so long, and now she's uh, number one in that call sheet. You know, uh, starring role. Anytime. Max. If it happens when I'm 69, I'll be happy because what a funny number. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.